Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity, uh, all red, white, and blue out here in Denver. (laughs) I'm so pleased because I used to not run on Wednesdays. I used to do a boot camp class, but now I've switched my um, cross training to Tuesday, Thursday. So now I run on Wednesdays and I run with Molly. We have a standing Wednesday morning date uh, to run this summer, and we decided that wasn't enough. So we just added Mondays as well. And it's such a delight to get to see her and catch up with her twice a week. Um, great. That's great. How was your run this morning? What'd you do? We, so, well, on Monday we did hill repeats. I, um, cause that was my thing, uh, that I'm now starting to do. And so she joined me on that, and that was a lot of fun, um, except when she started then getting faster than I did in the second half. <laughs> so it's interesting. We, um, so on Wednesdays, we typically just run kind of a very easy hour long, um, run. And it's intriguing. Molly always has like a spring in her step the second we start. And I'm always like, Whoa, rain it in there, friend, rain it in. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of times we run up to this one water fountain, um, a Benson bubbler here in Oregon that is a, uh, continually flowing, water fountain. So, and I just basically took like a, a, used it like a bird bath today. I got, uh, I put the cool water on my arms, on my face. I ran through my hair a little bit, took a sip of water. And then I just felt like dynamite after that. I, I was feeling great. And it was the exact opposite for Molly. She was like, Oh, I feel, Oh, this runs really hard. Right. Uh, so, um, we kind of, um, shift places, um, that she's always speedier in the beginning and I get stronger as the run goes on. It's a balmy, what, like 66 out there. So it's really hot. (laughs) Well, it's very, it was humid because we have been getting rain at night. Um, we're recording this in, in late June and we've been getting rain at night and then, you know, so running in the morning, it's still quite damp out. And as you might've heard, Oregon's a little damp. So yeah, it's, it's maybe only about 66 or something. <laughs> I realize I realize we're quite fortunate with our late summer weather or, or sorry, early summer weather here. So yeah, yeah. we uh, passed the longest day of the year. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I know. Oh, I was sad. So sad know, about that. I know. Kind of comes and goes. It comes too early. I think I feel like for some reason it should be like the end of July and not the end of June. See what I have learned. I have, you know, I've had a couple of years to figure this one out, but I have come to realize that you got to start appreciating the longer days in late March through June 21st, particularly April and the first half of May, that those can kind of be sneaky and you don't quite notice them. And so I've started to, particularly here in the northern climb that I live in, that it stays light, really late, even in April. And so I, I, you know, kind of do my own little, you know, sun dances um, to appreciate it. So, yeah. You're going to have to be like, you have to be like doing like an Indian tribal dance for hours to do a sun dance in Portland. There and so. <laughs> no, no, no. We had a lovely spring. I will not let you slander Portland. We had. Rain on your parade, rain on your parade. <laughs> 
Yeah. I need to make a note next year because yeah, I don't notice that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, you know, because it's mostly the, it's mostly for me, it's like kind of the heat that makes me realize that the days are longer, mm-hmm. you know, like I just equate it with more warm temperature where even if it's 40, it still might be nice and light outside. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I have paid a lot of attention cause I, Love, love, love lighter, um, longer days, um, particularly because we get the flip side of it here in Portland of um, shorter, darker <laughs> days. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so we have a guest today. We have Greg McMillan, who is a um, coach, both online and in person, who is uh, probably best known for his McMillan pace calculator, that um, go-to tool that predicts race times as well suggests training paces. He's also the uh, author. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love we love the running authors, don't we? Yes, yes, <laughs> we do. Um, he wrote a book called um, recently wrote a book called "You Colon Only Faster," oh, yeah, which per- I think parens. Mm-hmm. Parentheses. Oh, it's, oh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a colon. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. No, I'm staring. I'm staring at here. It's a bright red cover. It says "you" in big white letters, and then in parens underneath, in kind of a chartreuse, it says "only faster." Training plans to help you train smarter and run faster, which is what we all want to do, right? Exactly. You can find Coach McMillan at uh, McMillanRunning.com. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also on Twitter at Greg McMillan. Um, and if you Google him, he's pretty much all over, um, the web with a bunch of great running advice. Welcome Greg McMillan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So your pace calculator is, is basically my running Bible. Um, (laughs) how did you arrive at those calculations? Well, I was in graduate school and I was, I've always coached a really wide range of runners from people just coming off the couch or out from behind the computer to those trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon and even some athletes that go to the Olympic Games and try to win the races. And I needed a tool that could provide optimal paces for each athlete, no matter where they were across that spectrum. And there really wasn't anything out there that fit all of the needs I had. There there are definitely other mechanisms for figuring these things out, but nothing was as complete as I wanted. Uh, and everything seemed to have some sort of conflict with what I, what I was finding in the lab when I was studying exercise physiology or with the athletes I was coaching. So I started fiddling until I got a system in place that I felt was complete. It could offer any runner exactly the training places that he or she should use, no matter what type of workout they're doing, what their fitness level was, their age, how long they've been training. And it also could give them guidance as they move from one race distance to the next as to what they could expect uh, in that upcoming race. And I did that a lot in graduate school in addition to, to actually getting my degree. And the result was what is now the calculator. And I put it online so others could use it. And I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by how popular it's become. Well, yeah, because yours, yours is one of the few that, that gives training paces and like race expectations, right? I mean, because those are two different things, obviously. They are two different things. And again, that was uh, every other tool I looked at had some limitation. It was not complete in some aspect. And I wanted something that was very simple that with just a few keystrokes, boom, right in front of you, you'd have all the information you need. Whether that is, oh, I just ran a 5K, I'm going to run my first 10K, I have no idea how to pace myself, 
I wanted to help runners be able to do that. And then, of course, the optimal training paces, because that's a question you always get is, well, how fast should I do this workout? Well, I wanted something that could could put it right in, in front of the runner and the coach. I mean, I was I was really using it myself with the athletes that I worked with. And uh, that allowed me, I think, to get better results because I always felt comfortable that the athlete was was operating in the optimal zone from what we know from exercise science as well as from uh, the greatest coaches and athletes over the last century. Awesome. Awesome. What kind of feedback do you get about it? Do you get both positive and negative or is it all like, oh yeah, thanks to you. I totally nailed it. Or wow, that was way too ambitious. <laughs> it's, it's mostly the former. It's yeah. mostly thanks. And boy, this is really accurate for me. And then, you know, there it's not, it's just an estimator. So it's not, yeah. it's not written in stone. And some people get upset if, you know, if they can't hit it, but there's usually a reason for that. And so I've tried through the articles and videos that are also on the website to sort of explain that process and how you might need to figure out how to tweak your training to uh, address some limitation you have, which may be keeping you from hitting those paces or hitting that uh, race time that you're after. So the, the majority of it is is very, very positive. And I've continued to do, it, it's sort of always under development. It's always, I'm always doing research on it, always trying to tweak it to make it better, always looking at uh, the results from people that I coach and figuring out, are we dialed in exactly the way we, we should be? And I'm, I'm super happy. I mean, it's been over 11 million runners have used it now. So I feel really good that it's sort of, it's sort of proved it's yeah. time tested and uh, and and it's in a good spot right now for sure. So did did your book um, you only faster that kind of grow out of that or is that just grow out of you as um, your career as a coach and wanting to kind of put something else out there? That really grew from the process that I used uh, when, that I use when I work with athletes. And so whenever I start working with a new athlete, um, I want to figure that athlete out because we are so unique. We are we truly are an experiment of one. And a big part of what I'm trying to do is figure out that athlete and what what he or she is like and because that information really can inform the training because generic and sort of basic training plans can can only get you so far and you need to along the process of training figure more out about yourself and so that process that i use is essentially what i tried to communicate in the book uh, if you're sitting down and you're trying to figure out how can i get fitter how can i qualify for the boston marathon how can i improve in some aspect um, it's it's written as if i'm just sitting down with you and we're trying to figure all that out just like having a coach kind of by your side Right. And and back to the pace calculator and a little bit along the lines of what you were just talking about. Do you get a lot of people saying like, wow, the, the training pace is so much slower than they thought they were supposed to be going? Yeah, a lot of times uh, uh, that's a habit that some people fall into is that all of their training paces, uh, they're, they're, all their runs are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of variation in pace or effort from one run to the next. And we know that that's not the ideal way to train. We know the ideal way to train is to have a lot of variety. We have a lot of variety in the duration that you're running. We have a variety in the the effort or intensity or pace that you're running. And so the way the calculator is set up is to make sure that no matter what type of run you're doing, 
That's your optimal pace zone. And if you just stay within it, you are getting the maximum benefit from that run. If you run faster or slower than that, it's not that it's not good for you. It's just not optimal. It's just not maximizing the benefit from that type of run. So usually when uh, certainly more beginner type runners who haven't had exposure to a lot of variety and training paces, they see it and they think, well, why, why should I go slower? That seems counterintuitive, <laughs> but we know, boy, there's a lot of benefit that comes from all of the training zones, all of the different training paces. And once they experiment and they figure out this sort of rhythm to training where you have some days that are a little bit more intense and some days that are less intense, they find, oh, wow, my fitness just continually builds and builds. And I have fewer of those sort of bad runs, those runs where you go out and you're just sort of, who stole my fitness? I don't know what happened to me over the last couple of days. You have fewer of those. And if you have fewer of those, you stay healthy, you stay motivated, and typically you'll race faster. Well, and so, um, and this is along those lines too. I mean, I know um, you're a proponent of running by minutes instead of miles. Is that for, is that for most training um, sessions or is that just in certain cases? And, and tell for, us about that. I think it's for most um, of your easy training sessions. There's no reason to be too concerned with miles. I think it's fine just to go out and say, I'm going to run a certain number of minutes because we vary from day to day in how we feel. And what you don't want to do is say, oh, I have to run six miles. That's on my schedule. That's what I have to do. And you feel horrible <laughs> going out the door, but you force yourself to get that six miles in. I'm not sure that's a great strategy to use all the time. So what I like to do is tell athletes, you know, for today, the only thing we're looking for is 50 to 60 minutes, for example, at an easy pace. Let's just do that. And if that take, if, if you cover six miles, that's great. If you cover seven miles, that's great too. If you cover five miles, that's okay. The body doesn't know how far you're going. It just knows how intensely you're working and for how long, the duration. So that's why on most of the easy runs, so something where you're not doing anything specific, I like thinking about it in minutes versus miles. Not a big fan of just chasing miles to chase miles, but it does has, have its place. I mean, there's certain workouts where you, you do have to perform a certain number of miles and, and those, you know, are kind of designated that way. Mm-hmm. And in, in you only faster, I was intrigued that one of your tips for new runners is to run 10 to 20% less mileage than you think you can, but to plan for an increase in mileage over time. And, and that was a quote. Um, so we hear that from so many mother runners, newbie mother runners who are injured on our Facebook page in particular, that, you know, they, they get injured. And um, do you think doing too much too soon is often the quote unquote mistake newer runners make? It definitely is. And we've all done it. I think we can all say yes to that. And and that's why one of those, uh, you know, sort of general principles I have is, is don't break the rule of twos, you know, too much, too soon, too often. And that's really what we get caught up. And it's, We've all done it because it's so difficult. We find the sport and we love it. And nothing give us, gives us more joy than going out and running. And we love what it does for us sort of mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, everything. It really connects with us and we just want more of that. But the problem we have is that the cardiovascular system, sort of our heart, our lungs, that system is very robust. And we're lucky that it is, right? We, want, we don't want that to fatigue. We want that to adapt very quickly. But our musculoskeletal system, our muscles, tendons, bones, ligaments, that's much slower 
to develop. It's much slower to adapt to stress that's placed on it. And that's where we get into the conflict. We, are, we sort of monitor how we feel from our breathing and uh, our overall fitness level, but we don't hear those whispers that are going on in our musculoskeletal system until they're a little loud <laughs> and they start telling us, hey, you know, something's wrong. And then we usually ignore that for a little while until eventually we just have to say, uncle, I have an injury. Sure. So what I'm and I'm very concerned that we have allowed this very high rate of injury to occur in our sport. Uh, I believe we need to change that. And it it's typically a training error. There can be inherent biomechanics and that sort of thing that play a role. But let's face it, there's some mileage level where you won't get hurt. There is, you can go low enough. If you run one mile a week, you're probably not going to get hurt. So what I'm proposing is instead of chasing miles, let's find a zone, uh, this sweet spot of training where you feel like you're challenging yourself, but, but there's a lot more left in the tank. You could do more mileage. Let's stay there first. Let's allow that musculoskeletal system to adapt over time. And then you be, can begin to increase your mileage. And because we've all done it, because we've all broken the rule of twos and we've done too much too soon, we should all be helping each other say, hey, it's great that you're you know, trying to, to move your mileage up. Let's just be careful. Because I would, like most runners, I'd give $1,000 if I'm injured, if somebody could make me not injured. So exactly. I really would, I really want us to work toward finding a mileage level that we can maintain sort of on an, a regular basis, like a year-round basis. That's our good mileage. And then occasionally we go into these periods of higher mileage. Say we're training for a half marathon or a marathon or, or triathlon, Ironman, that sort of thing. Those might be times where, yeah, you push the envelope a little bit, but most of the time you need to be slightly below that level so we ensure you stay healthy. Yeah. Well, and so what, what, I mean, what do you recommend? Like, okay, if you're off the road, you've kind of found your sweet spot of mileage. What do you do to kind of keep that injury at bay still? Like, I mean, are you a big strength train, foam roll, massage? Like, what, what do you kind of recommend off the road? Every, everything you're mentioning. <laughs> I yeah. feel like, uh, you know, part of, of what we're learning is that um, we're not all as fortunate as some of, say, the, the really fast people that have these beautiful uh, running form, their stride and their bodies are built for it. We're, we're kind of not all that way. And so we need to spend a fair amount of time, at least consistent time, uh, taking care of our bodies. I think the foam roller, any sort of self-massage and even professional massage, any type of therapy that you can do to keep the musculoskeletal system happy is very important. And the more injury prone you are, then the more you have to do. Sorry, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and it stinks if your training partner never gets hurt and you always do. That's just sort of the cards you've been dealt. And so I'm a big believer in you need to always be working toward taking care of your body. Now, I don't think it needs to be extensive. I think it just needs to be regular. Most of us don't have time to finish a run and do 20, 30, 40 minutes of a full sort of flexibility, massage, foam roller routine. But we can say, for me, for example, my calves are always tight. Okay, I can always take two minutes and work on my calves. That's my problem area. So I'm a believer in that. I'm a believer in becoming a better athlete. 
Uh, and that involves, uh, for different, again, for different runners, more ancillary work. So non-running work, whether that be in the gym or doing functional movements or core, there's sort of a plethora of different activities you can do, but find your zone as to, to what kind of fits in with your lifestyle and what you enjoy and try to make it consistent. I, I think consistency over time is probably more important than, than any one sort of magical exercise that you do. You're making me feel so good because calves are my weak point And I always, uh, the, my runs always end with me doing heel drops um, mm-hmm. from the back stairs of our porch. And, you know, it, literally it is only you know, 90 seconds to two minutes. And I've been thinking, am I kidding myself that 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 actually is doing some good? So no, I think that's doing a lot of good. And I believe if ever, and we all have our own sort of Achilles heel, right? Mm -hmm. And some people it's their hamstring, some of it's a knee or the actual Achilles or plantar Mm -hmm. fascia or whatever. So I say, okay, let's focus on that area has got to be worked on after every run, throughout the week, whatever, you've got to make sure you have that in there. And then you take one one layer deeper and you say, okay, and if I have more time, I'm going to do these other things. So again, you start with the, the most important, the highest priority things, and you got to stick with those. Those have to be the regular. And then you build in as your schedule allows other sort of exercises, drills, therapy that can, can keep Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. BarkBoxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first BarkBox. Dimity let BarkBox know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel any time. Free shipping in the continental U.S. For a free extra month when you subscribe to a six- or 12-month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com AMR. That's BarkBox.com AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com AMR when you subscribe. That's StoryWorth.com AMR. Be healthy. 
Cool. Well, so so this is a uh, some they all kind of lead to each other. We're all we're all training injuries running here. Um, yeah. But uh, but so so a lot of women um, that we that are kind of uh, in our tribe, as we call it, you know, they they have a hard time um, in between races because you know it's always just nice to have a goal out there and to, you know and it kind of what gets you up in the morning because you know you have to do you know, X amount number of minutes or miles or whatever, what, you know, how do you kind of recommend people scale back a little, get back to that kind of sweet spot of mileage, you know, and kind of, you know, between races and still stay motivated? Well, I think that is a big challenge, particularly if you are very driven by having an important goal out there. So for example, I ran the Boston Marathon this past April. And a big reason that I wanted to run it was to get my butt out the door through the winter <laughs> because I, I tend to get a little lazy. So it was important to have that goal sitting there when, you know, there are those days where I probably wouldn't have done what I needed to do. And so we have to respect that, that that is the case a lot of times, but you can also come down to I need to make sure I'm training consistently because that is helping my musculoskeletal system keep me healthy. And the stronger, the more injury resistant I can build that, and that only comes through sort of regular consistent training, I'll be more prepared when I do get to that training segment before my next big event. And so you might have to change the the purpose of your goal from, oh, I have this this race or this big event that I'm, I'm concerned about. And that's motivating me to, boy, I, I don't want to ever get hurt again. Or I want to make sure that I stay on my weight loss program. I don't want to slip backwards and have that weight come back on. So let me make sure I'm getting out the door uh, for that reason. And so you might have to play some mental tricks on yourself uh, to substitute a sort of a big important goal for maybe these smaller goals that still mean a lot to you. you just They just don't have the sort of, you know, they're not as glitzy as, uh, oh, I've got a marathon coming up. I need to go train. Yeah, there's no, there's no bling at the end of the no, not so much. <laughs> so I haven't hit the track in more than two years. Um, I feel a little bit like I'm at confession. But um, so, but I've, I'm determined to um, stop this slide of getting slower. So I've been doing hill repeats um, in, in sort of to build up to um, getting back to the track. So what do you think of hill repeats as a precursor to speed work? Big fan of that. Again, uh, when you're going to do speed work, and we have to remember, speed work is very stressful in the musculoskeletal system. So we need to prepare. I I think of training as you know the training you want to do and need to do to accomplish your goal, but you're probably not prepared to do that training right now. So you have to do the training so you can do the training. And then sometimes you're not even ready to do that training before the training. So you have to take one more step and you have to do the training to do the training to do the training. So for me with speed work, I think of it in a three-step process. I think step one, after you have, you know, sort of consistent running under your belt, do hill training. I think that's a really great stimulus for the legs, the musculoskeletal system to get them stronger, get them used to sort of pushing harder against the ground, which we don't do a lot of that in just regular runs. So you have that. And it also helps the cardiovascular system. You breathe heavier. You get used to that feeling of lactic acid building up. And then step two is, okay, after you've done a few hill workouts, Go and do a pace change workout or a fartlek workout, right? A speed play workout where you are running faster, but you're you're not sort of 
tied to the stopwatch. You're not on the track feeling concerned about, am I hitting those splits that that darn McMillan calculator says I'm <laughs> supposed to, you know, don't get there yet. Uh, the next, you just do some speed play, whether that is, I'm going to run quickly for a minute on, take a minute off and repeat that 10 times, or I'm going to run from this mailbox to the second mailbox, and then I'm going to jog easy and do it again. Uh, whatever that is, start that way. So you, you begin to reintroduce faster runner, running to your body because it's going to rebel uh, at first. It's kind of interesting how the body works, but it, it will say, I prefer not to do this. And you have to say, well, <laughs> in that, in that I, language, yeah. say, I prefer so, not to do this, not, you know, something yeah, a little bit more crass. Sometimes, well, sometimes it gets a little louder and more uh, sort of not eligible for small children to hear, but yeah. uh, you, you've got to be gentle with it and you've got to slowly ease into it. And then once you kind of get that second step, then I think you're ready to go and start doing some speed work, which may be more serious, so to speak, where you do have a time to hit for a certain distance and, and that sort of thing. But it can be done. But again, just be be respectful that if you haven't done it in a long time, the body's probably gotten, it's probably forgotten about it. And you'll have to be gentle in reminding it. Be gentle, Sarah. Be gentle. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear Sarah when your body says, I prefer not to do this, Sarah. <laughs> Let me know when that moment occurs. Um, so we're going to ask a couple of questions from um, when we got on Facebook and Twitter. Um, one is from a woman named Christine, and this is maybe totally anti-McMillan. Um, but is there a way to gauge your pace without, you know, a Garmin or another running watch? I mean, do you ever go off effort or tell people to run, quote unquote, naked? Yeah, I do. I'm a big fan of that. Um, in fact, I wrote an article, gosh, maybe 10 years ago uh, for Running Times that was talking about calculating your inner GPS, mm -hmm. this ability so that you can connect with your effort levels. I do believe all the training you do, all the information that you get from the external is only to inform the internal, the GPS watch, the heart rate, whatever you're using, that should just be exterior information to connect you with effort levels. And so eventually, you know, after you get some training and you've done a different, a lot of different training paces and you've sort of gotten a connection with that effort level, you should be able to just go out and replicate a workout with absolutely no sort of external feedback at all. You should be able to go and run a tempo run or interval workout or hill workout. And you can do anything just by effort. So I think, uh, you know, with this sort of age where we can have all this instant data uh, at our you know, fingertips and in our ears, I think you you need to remember that's all just to connect you. It's not the driver of the ship, you're the driver of the ship. It's not the master, you're the master. And so once you get to that point, then it doesn't matter if you go out and say it's windy or the race course is hilly or it's hot and humid like a lot of people are experiencing right now. You can adjust your effort level to make sure you have the best workout for that day, irrespective of what your actual pace is. And that's a real comforting feeling because then instead of feeling like, oh, I really, you know, that was a bad workout for me because I didn't hit my paces. Now you say, oh, you know, I really felt like I got the, the stimulus I needed from that workout. I'm happy with that. What a difference in how you approach training. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's a smart thing. I get this question a lot and I'm sure you probably do too. And is there a way, like, how do you def, um, tell the difference between race pace and tempo pace? Like if someone says, give me a, you know, a one sentence definition of tempo versus race, what would you say? Jamie and a, and a couple other women were wondering that. Well, I, I never like when people say race pace uh-huh. because I think, well, what race are you doing? Because <laughs> I mean, if you told me to do three times a mile at marathon race pace, then I would say, that's pretty easy. I can do that. No problem. If you told me to do it at two mile race pace, then I would say, Ooh, that's (laughs) going to be really hard. So again, I think you have to dig a little deeper. And when people say that, do, do five times a mile at race pace, I go, what race pace are you talking about? Um, you know, I need to know that information. So for me, um, again, I look at what's the stimulus. So a tempo run, uh, by my definition, is the maximum pace that you could race for one hour. Now, if we all raced for as hard as we could for one hour, we would experience sort of the same physiological and psychological feelings. The only difference would be you might go 10 miles, I might go five miles. But uh, physiologically, it's the same. So when you say tempo pace, that's what I'm talking about. When you say race pace, well, that could really vary. I mean, that sure. could be very, very fast or it could be very, very slow. So you want to make sure when, uh, when you're confused about what does this mean, you have to dig a little deeper. And so to find out. And, of course, my definition of tempo pace could be different than another coach's too. So if they say tempo, again, you should say, well, what does that mean? What kind of race pace is that? What kind of feeling is that? What are you looking for uh, to try to dial it in? That's, it's become a problem in our sport just because a lot of things are semantics, you know, tomato, tomato uh, with a lot of different things. And so I've just kind of gotten into a habit when I talk to other coaches is to say, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, give me an example uh, for example, you know, if I'm a four hour marathoner, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. As opposed to the guys that are at the front of the race running a marathon, it only takes them a little over two hours. That's those are, those are two different events really. So, and, and some people, uh, were asking about exercises and drills to improve form, which one might think would then naturally improve pace. But, um, what are some of your favorite exercises and drills for form? Yeah, there's there's a lot of them out there. I, I think the number one thing with running form is what my high school coach always told us, which is run tall. So the easiest thing you can do is when you're running, always think run tall. And if you just tell a person to do that or you tell yourself, then immediately your form will improve. And then there's a set of drills that sort of come from the sprint world. And uh, I even did a DVD called Drills for Distance Runners, which goes through these. But there are things like what's called A skip and a B skip and karaoke and straight leg running and different things, uh, these exercises, which not only stimulate sort of how you hold your body position, but also the neuromuscular system, your ability or coordination in the running movement. Uh, And a lot of times if you just uh, awaken or reawaken that neuromuscular system, kind of like you were talking about you're going to do with the speed work, that pays big dividends even on your easy run pace. And so I I do think all of us uh, can continually and should continually work on our running form. And any of those sort of sprint drills, uh, and you can Google it and there's thousands of them out there, 
that you can begin to incorporate uh, would help your you get into that proper run tall position. Now, you might want to start them in the dark where nobody can see you because we <laughs> tend to be a little bit uncoordinated when we start them. But once you you know feel good, then you can you know just finish a run and you can do a few drills, and that seems to to help us avoid that sort of the shuffle that we tend toward when we do a lot of just endurance running. I was feel like my neighbors are wondering what the heck I'm doing when I get back from a run and doing, oh, look, <laughs> Sarah's skipping. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of it is very similar to when we were kids. A lot of skipping and hopping and do, just doing movement patterns that uh, help make sure we are holding our body in the correct position while we're moving our limbs around it. Um, and I know you, you said earlier that everyone's, um, you know, an experiment of one, which I love. But um, is there like kind of a minimum? I mean, we've got uh, a bunch of women, obviously, who might be injury prone and then also just don't have a bunch of time. And so one of our women, one of our um, one woman named Sybil is asking, like, what is the fewest amount of days she can run to kind of train for a marathon? She's and she's assuming that she's doing strength and cross training on her um, non running days. Yeah, I think uh, history has shown that uh, you can get by on three to four days a week of running. Two is is a little bit difficult. Three is is what I would say is sort of the minimum and probably does require that you're doing other activity. Uh, If you just did three days of running and nothing else, that might be too little. But I certainly coach a lot of people where three to four days a week is sort of their maximum that they have time uh, in order to, to commit to it. And then you just have to be very, very clever in how you do the training to make sure that you are you're sort of getting prepared for the the event the the marathon that you're doing and you have to be very efficient in that training sure so and we have um michelle who's a very um avid poster on our facebook page and she uh is requalified for the boston marathon in a time of 330 in april and now she's hoping to set a new pr in a half marathon this fall but she doesn't want to follow a specific training plan because she's afraid she'll kind of burn out before she has to start training for Boston again. So she currently does speed work once a week and a tempo run a few times a month. And her question is to get ready for that fast half. uh, Should a long weekly tempo run be her priority rather than speed work, or is she going to have to suck it up and do both? I think she should do both. Uh, I think that both, both are the way to go just as she's doing it now. And I would say the more important workout to get ready for that half marathon would be to have some of her long runs be progressive so that she's finishing those fast. And that uh, is a real good way to mimic what you face in the half marathon, which is sort of when you get to eight, nine, 10 miles, you start to get tired. So you need to up your intensity mm-hmm. just to stay on pace. We can sort of mimic that by actually trying to go faster in training uh, on the end of those long runs that we call fast finish long runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she did three or four of those leading into the event, I would think she'd be very prepared for that without having to feel like she's constrained with you know, too, too much of an, a, a training plan, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Cool. Okay. And then our last question is, um, from, uh, M, uh, she's just a little incognito on Twitter. She just wants to talk about masters runners as, um, you know, how to adjust to changes over time, you know, as we get older, unfortunately, the times just kind of 
go a little bit southward and just kind of how to mentally adjust and, and still feel good about yourself and feel strong. Well, it's uh, for those of us that started running young, that's sort of the nature of the beast is that I know that I will never run as fast as I did before, uh, and I'm okay with that uh, because I just change my focus. You know, you can change your focus to comparing yourself to your peers as opposed to comparing yourself to the overall race. You can move to different distances and do different types of training uh, to try to, to give you a new challenge. Uh, for yourself. But the the way I think about it, at least for myself, is how good can I be right now? Am I doing what I could, what I want to do, what fits into my life with family and work and that sort of thing? Can I be as good as I can be right now? And as long as I'm doing that, I got to feel good about that. I think that's, that's a real positive. And so I don't worry so much about the slowdown. I, I think more about, could I get a little faster right now? even if that's much slower than it was uh, a few years ago. Now, of course, some people are coming into the sport at an older age, and so they are not experiencing this at all. They are on the, they're on the PR train. Yeah. yeah. Sarah and they, I like, they women that we meet that are coming in, and they you know, just had their kids, and that's when they started running, and they're like 36, 37. I'm like, oh, I want to be you and have your fresh legs and your fresh mind. But, yeah, they're, yeah. they're in a good position, right? Yeah, they they will they will do just like we did. They will experience a little this this lovely period where <laughs> race the PRs come so easily and that you take big chunks and of course that will end uh, over time. So, uh, but uh, it, it again it shows that it's not so much age per se. It is can you be better where you are right now, respecting sort of your life and how your body reacts to training and, and some of that. And so that's why, you know, we used to all follow this. I ran in high school and then college and then after, and that's sort of been thrown out the window because people are coming into the sport at all different parts of their lives now. And, and they all experience improvement. That's the cool thing about the sport. So, uh, we just have to think about, can I get better for me right now? And as long as I'm doing that, I'm I'm pretty pleased. I need to like needle point that on a pillow or something, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> How can I be right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what you have to tell your body when you said it's not interested in doing it. You say, but I want to know how good I can be right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's fun to do that. I've I've sort of doing exactly what you're talking about. I, I ran Boston, so I did obviously marathon training, and now this whole summer, all I care about is getting back to doing the speed work, similar to what I did when I was younger. I don't do as much of it. I certainly don't do it as fast, but I get that feeling. I get that sort of remembrance of, yeah, this hurts a lot, but I kind of like it, you know? And, and as long as you, you take it slow and allow your body to adapt, then you can have that. And, and then, you know, I'm sure in the fall, I'll transition and start doing some longer stuff to get ready for, you know, half marathons or whatever. But I just think it's fun that, you know, we, we have so many different events uh, that you can run year round. We have different distances and there's so many neat opportunities in the sport. And, and that variety really should keep us advancing uh, even as we age. Nice. Well, let's end on that note, Craig. That was, that was fantastic. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
So I don't know if that was his southern accent or just his wide, wide, just tub of expertise. He just knows so much, but he's so reassuring and just, you know, it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing and just keeps it basic, but, you know, but keeps it interesting. And oh, I know I, I was kind of it was almost like a little river that I was just floating along as he's talking about, like how to accept, you know, growing slower as you get older. I'm like, oh, OK, Greg, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to be my best myself today, Greg, okay? <laughs> Will you come along for the ride? Exactly. Yeah. So, well, if you want more of us, we're on Facebook at Run Like a Mother, the book. Our website is anothermotherrunner.com. On Twitter, we're at the Mother Runner. Our books are Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother. They're both available on Amazon.com. And many happy miles, no matter what pace you're going. 